Well, it is a great joy to be able to sing together like that. I actually enjoy being able to look out and see everybody singing. Uh, for once, it's, I don't always get to do that. But um, I'm grateful that our church isn't like this when we sing. There's people singing. You know, there's different ways people express themselves. Some people, you know, raise hands. Other people are, you know, really thinking in their hearts about the lyrics that we're singing. Other people are just grateful. And, and uh, so it, it's, a, it's a beautiful way to kind of, we're a diverse group. You know, we have different people that approach God and yet we're one in Jesus. And we have a lot to give thanks for as, as a church. Uh, this week, for example, there's something that came to a close and that was Awana. And Awana rocks. I just want to tell you that right now. This place was jumping with, with kids and people. So there were over 73 kids participated in our Awana program this particular year. And get this, of the 73 kids, uh, over 1,600 unique verses were memorized. So that's, yeah, that's huge. And so a lot of awards were given. But you think about that. God is using this ministry to really, in some ways, front load the mind of these kids, right? Because we know what God does with his word. The spirit takes the word, turns on the lights, applies it to our lives. And so we're having an impact on the next generation. So uh, let's get, it, by the way, if you're here right now and you do work with Awana in any way, shape, or form, would you please stand right now? We just want to give thanks to God for you. So let's just stand up. Yeah, we got folks up there here. Praise God. Thank you. Uh, Other things have been happening. Uh, The Walk for Life was yesterday, and my understanding is that Jerry Baker, our own Jerry Baker, got second place in the adult category for raising funds. That's a friendly competition. We're excited to be able to, again, be used by God to further the work for Options Health, and we'll get more totals, I'm sure, you know, as as we... Time, time progresses after the event, but we're thrilled to see that. Another thing that's going on, maybe you, you're familiar with this, but we have an Access for All project whereby we're taking our campus and we're making it more accessible to folks, and we've got really good news because uh, as the, the giving has, has been coming in, and so you can see here that first column is our total commitment level, and then the second column there is the projected giving through April, which is about $192,000, and what's actually come in is $227,000. So we're about 18% ahead of, of projected giving. So for all of you who are giving sacrificially to that, praise God, we thank Him for that. For all of us who are involved in this, we want to make sure that we're continuing to be involved. There's many ways that you can participate in this. Uh, praying is massive. There are prayer cards still available on the back table as you leave. And then another way you can be involved is to come by on Saturdays because there is sweat equity to be invested in uh, what's happening as sort of the, 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 the kind of precursor before the project here, which is the Edwing update. And uh, Paul and, and many others have been out there laboring. We've had plumbers in this week to get the new bathrooms all set up there. And the opportunities coming up on this Saturday would be more painting. So if you like to paint, that's great. That is not a, you know, necessarily something that people are comfortable with. Other people are really good at that. Um, you can learn, though. If you're not comfortable with it, come on by. Paul will teach you. He will put a brush in your hand, and he will say, do it like this. Uh, you can do that with us. Uh, there's uh, some other duct work to be done. Uh, there's uh, some electrical things. If you're into electrical, that's wonderful. If you're not, stay away from the electrical, okay? Just <laughs> do us a favor. Don't, don't experiment with that. It's not good for you. It's not good for us. It really isn't. So. But um, if you, by the way, if you're not on the list, if you're not on the list to help, uh, Paul has an, an email 
that he sends out. It's like a massive group email. Uh, be sure to uh, get on that. And, and you can either contact Paul to get on that, or you can contact the church office. Uh, and we'll make sure that you're kept up, up, up to date. Uh, because uh, you never know uh, when a need will come up, and you might be able to fill that need. And we're excited about that. So, uh, so we're grateful, and we're thanking God for those things. Um, we're continuing on in our uh, study of the Gospel of Luke. And, and I want to ask you a question. Do you ever struggle with joy? You're all looking at me like, dude, what day do I not struggle with joy? Okay, I know. I know. That is a struggle. And I think it's a struggle for us for a lot of different reasons. Uh, I, th- I think sometimes we're just feeling beat down by life. Uh, we, we, the world we live in has a lot of things pressing in and pressing down on us. And so we can just feel, you know, discouraged. Uh, and, and that's understandable. I think sometimes also uh, we can hear the different commands in Scripture to rejoice. You need to rejoice. And by the way, those are commands, and they're really good commands. But we stop short of understanding what the Bible actually means by joy. You know, we, we kind of think, well, joy then means I, I somehow, I need to act happy. That's what I got to do. I, I need to, you know, kind of put on the smiley face, or it's something I put on. It's like, almost like this thing I've got to get going out here, whatever, regardless of what's happening in here. But that's not, that's not biblical joy. Joy is not like an outfit or worse it's not like a costume to put on for the believer. We're called to be joyful because of things that are actually happening. Uh, first of all, things that are happening outside of us, thankfully. Namely, what God's doing. God's salvation. What he's accomplished in Christ. The gospel. That's all outside of us. Has very little to do with what's going on in here. It's objective. It's sure. It's true. On Calvary, Jesus gave his life as a payment for sin. Uh, he rose again from the dead. That's a historical reality. He lives today. That has nothing to do with how I feel about it at all. And that should be a relief to us. But then what happens is, as we see those truths, as we see those objective things from outside of us, and as they filter into our lives, then it creates within us joy. Increasing joy, I would even say. I want to be careful about that because it's not static. It's like this, right? But it's increasing joy, generally speaking, as we understand who God is and what he's objectively done in history. And this account here in Luke describes the beginnings of that very thing. And, and, and in this account, we're going to get a better idea of how biblical joy actually works. And uh, it's, not, it's not shallow. Again, it's not something that's a veneer. No, it's deep, and it comes about because of what God has actually done and us taking that in. So if you would go ahead and open to Luke. We're in chapter 1, verses 57 to 66. It's on page 44 in the Bible on the chair rack in front of you. And, and what we've seen so far is there was an angel that visited Zacharias as he was carrying out his priestly duties in the temple. And the angel told him, after appearing right there, uh, right by the incense, he, he told him, you and your wife, Elizabeth, are going to have a child. Now, Zacharias did not believe him, really. He kinda, he, the response we find from Zacharias is this, how am I supposed to really know that? And, 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 and you know, 
For me, I put myself in that place going, um, hey, there's an angel right there that just appeared to you. Isn't that enough? <laughs> like, is that, yeah, but how do I know? So the angel goes, well, okay, uh, you're not going to be able to speak now until the time that this baby comes. So Zacharias uh, walks out. He can't, he can't talk. Then we find that Gabriel, same angel, goes and visits Mary and describes uh, another baby that's to come. And so the first baby, as angel talked to, the angel talked to Zacharias, is going to be the one who prepares the way for the Messiah. He's preparing um, this path for the Messiah to come and preparing his people for the Messiah's arrival. And now he go, the angel goes to Mary and says, you are now going to give birth to the Lord, the Messiah, the promised one. Mary's response is much different. Mary asks, how can this be since I'm a virgin? Not with a doubtful heart, but with a, how does this work? <laughs> but believing. Uh, and then, so as you're, if you are with us last week, we saw Mary's response to, to what God had done in her life. She visits Elizabeth, her cousin, um, who's, who's having um, this baby that's going to prepare the way. And they're together, and she breaks out into song and praise. And so now we come fast forward to the time where Elizabeth is going to give birth. And uh, in honor of the word of God, would you please stand and follow along as I read? Beginning with verse 57. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord displayed his great mercy toward her, and they were rejoicing with her. And it happened that on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to call him Zacharias after his father. But the mother answered and said, No, indeed, but he shall be called John. And they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who's called by that name. And they made signs to his father as to what he wanted him called. And he asked for a tablet and wrote as follows. His name is John. And they were all astonished. And at once, his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he began to speak in praise of God. Fear came on all those living around them. And all these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. All who heard them kept them in mind, saying, What will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. Let's pray. Lord, help us to see from this passage what you would have us learn. Each of us, we find ourselves in different places as we enter this building together, seeking to worship you, seeking to draw near to you, to drink deeply of who you are. And we would ask now that your spirit would take what he's penned here to change us from the inside. And we ask that you'd open our eyes and that we would leave different than when we came, that others would know you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and take your seats. So we find out in the outset here that, verse 58, there's rejoicing. We find later on through the account, there is great joy. We find Zacharias himself, when he is able to speak, he bursts forth with praise, praise and joy. And so when we are looking at this text, as we explore it together, we're going to be looking at how joy resounds. When And we're going to fill in the rest of that phrase. And by resound, I mean that. It says joy has a way, when it takes root in our hearts, it echoes around. It reverberates. It spreads out. 
it resounds. And so the first thing we would see is joy, joy resounds when we see God's work. We see that in verses 57 and 58. Uh, Elizabeth was coming to give birth at that time, and what do the neighbors and relatives do? Whoa, what great mercy God's displayed for you. Rejoicing with her. That, that, that phrase, rejoicing with her, means in an ongoing way. That's just happening at one point in time. It's, they're continuing to rejoice. And notice, it's with her. They're thrilled. Now, what, maybe they're seeing this for the first time. You know, she had kept herself in seclusion, we were told earlier in the account. So it's possible that, uh, that she, you know, was, was kind of in a, in a place of, uh, you know, keeping a kind of a low profile and wanting just to rest and make sure everything's, everything's healthy with the baby and all that. But their, their rejoicing is actually a fulfillment of what the angel said. If you look back at chapter 1, verse 14, notice what the angel said. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. <laughs> so this, this itself depicts the fact that what the angel said to Zacharias is true. And joy and praise just run through this entire portion of the narrative. And, and they're thrilled with that. And, and I think that's an important thing to see, is that they're seeing what God has done. They're seeing God's work. And they're praising him for that. And, uh, and I think it's worth, it, worth us asking that question. Are, are you excited when God's at work in the life of other people? I don't know about you, but I, I think a lot of times, for, for a lot of us, there's, a, there's this sense, where, especially in our culture, you know, 21st century America, Bay Area, you know what? We're pretty much caught up with me. We're very me-focused. And, and I think it's very important that we learn from this that, no, as we see God at work, as we, as we see God blessing other people, as we see him moving through them, that we rejoice in what God's doing. Uh, C.S. Lewis has an illustration that he, he describes that, you know, he's like, how, how often, you know, if, if you're painting, maybe a painting of a sunset, imagine yourself doing that. By the way, if I'm doing it, it's probably not looking like a sunset, okay? It's probably looking like something else, but I'm painting the sunset. And someone's sitting next to me, and they're painting the same scene. And I look over at theirs, and I see how beautiful it is, and I just go, that is so beautiful. Praise God. Or instead, am I, so much better than mine. And I think that's the, the attitude we can have sometimes. Are we, are we looking out for one another? And in one another's lives, are we rejoicing at what God's doing? I even think sometimes we can rejoice in what God's doing in a brother or sister's lives when they, in fact, aren't even aware of that. We can help them to see it. I was, I was having a conversation with a friend earlier this week, and, and he was just sharing challenges. And, and I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm going, you know what, though? You know what I see? I see God putting you in the exact right place at the exact right time to be a blessing to and an encouragement to and even instruct others through this. And I don't think that was really apparent to him in, initially. But again, what's happening? There's a rejoicing with others as God is at work. And so I think, again, we, we need to see joy you know, resounding in our lives. We will see joy resounding in our lives when we are seeing God's work. And, and here, certainly, it's the most objective, beautiful, transcendent work possible. It is the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. That's what they're witnessing. Now, they're not witnessing that quite yet, and they don't know all the implications of this one baby's birth. They're wondering about him, 
what John the Baptist is going to be like. This is way before he's John the Baptist. At this point, they don't even know he's going to be John. They're just excited. Um, he's he's uh, the result of God's work in Elizabeth's life. And uh, so in verses 59 and following, we find um, another element of this whole thing because it's, it, it's kind of centered on the fact that the child is to be circumcised and named. And culturally... The eighth day of circumcision was, was very normal. Uh, typically, though, in the culture, you would name the child before that. So it is fascinating that, that John here and then Jesus later will both be named on the day of their circumcision. And it's possible that that's there to draw attention to the fact that they are being used by God as a part of the fulfillment of the promise God made to Abraham. So there's a connection. There's a covenant connection between the new covenant and the Abrahamic covenant. But... Here, the people are very surprised when Elizabeth says, yeah, his name's going to be John. And you can kind of see this sort of, they're going, no, you're not, they're assuming things. Oh, okay, it can't be named John. You don't have anybody in your family named John. And so they kind of turn to Zacharias. And you've got to love this in verse 63. He asked for a tablet and wrote. So obviously, this is the ancient precursor of the iPad, all right? See? <laughs> They had tablets, all right? They had, and by the way, their tablets worked just fine. Unlike, remember when, during the pandemic, when I was preaching outside and mine died? You remember that? Yeah, if I had a wax one, it might have gone a little better. I don't know. I think the wax one can t- tolerate a little more heat because that's what it was. It was a piece of wood and they had a pe- wax on it and you could write. They had a stylus too. They had a stylus. And you just write on this thing and then when you were done, guess what you did? You went, done. Write the next thing. So ancient people, they're, they're smart. I think, again, we kind of get egotistical, like, well, we've got technology. Yeah, they were not dumb, okay? And they had great ideas. And so anyway, he's using his tablet. Um, he doesn't have to charge his up either. He won't have low battery on his, right? So anyway, and he writes, what, what does he write though? Notice, he writes, his name is John. That's significant. He does not write, his name will be John. It already is John. Why? Because he's saying, the one who has authority to name this child is God. And God's already named him. And in that moment, we really do see the fruit of, of Zacharias' repentance. <laughs> he didn't believe before. He received the consequence for that. Um, you you kind of you are wondering, why were the people making signs to him? And I, I don't know. I mean, uh, we're not told that he couldn't hear. Um, I, I kind of wonder how, you know, sometimes, have you ever noticed if you're speaking to someone who, who doesn't uh, perhaps know the language you're using terribly well, what people will do is they'll tend to get louder with them. Like, if I speak it louder, that's going to help. The person can hear just fine. It's the language. It's not, right? So we... we and we get that, by the way, we get involved with that with one another, don't we, too? Oh, you're not listening to me? Well, let me get louder, right? It's like, that's not going to do anything. It doesn't help. Uh, but so here they're trying to communicate, and, uh, but they are astonished. End of verse 63, they are astonished. And, and, but here we find, for Zacharias, this is the moment of really seeing visibly his repentance. Not, not his name will be John. His name is John. And so what we would find in this is, that joy resounds not only when we see God's work, but also when we repent. 
That's, that's to be our lives too. We're, we're to live lives of repentance before God. Repentance is, is when you're going one direction, you turn around and you're going in a different direction. Whatever you were pursuing for life, you're turning away from that. That is not something that just happens uh, when we first come to Jesus. Uh, it's something that we're doing our entire lives. We're living lives that way. Where we're constantly going, oh, you know, we're convicted of sin and we turn away from it. And by God's grace, we grow that way. And maybe you're here today and you've never come to the place of repenting, of turning away from your sin and turning to trust in Jesus. And, and the call for you is this very day, turn to him. Those things that you're trusting in right now for life that are promising fulfillment, satisfaction, and whatever else, the funny thing about them is when you end up getting them, guess what? You're just as empty as you were before. Because you weren't made for that. You were made to know God. And, and, and we're all separated from God by our sin. And that's why Jesus came to live the life we could never live, to die the death we deserve, and to remove that sin from us as far as the east is from the west. And all you need to do to receive that forgiveness and grace is to trust him. Turn away from what you're trusting now and turn to him. And when you do, you will come to know what it means to walk with the one who made you, God. And that's what you were made for. And when you do, you will come to know joy for the first time. So come to him today. Repent. Believe. Embrace the gift that's so, that, that is there for you in Jesus. So here, Zacharias repents. He turns and, uh, and, and as a result, um, we see great joy in his life. Now, of course, this fulfills, again, the prophecy the angels gave. You know, baby's going to come. You're not going to talk until then. And, and you've got to love this. When he can speak finally, what does he do? End of verse 64. He speaks in praise of God. There it is. There's rejoicing again. First thing he can do when he can speak. Now, just put yourself in his place. You haven't been able to speak for nine months. Nine months. You can't talk. What's the first thing you're going to say when you can speak? You know, it might be, would you please scratch? I cannot reach right here. I want to say this for nine months. You know what I mean? Or maybe it's, you know, get me this. Or I, I, I need a cheeseburger. I mean, I don't know what you're going to say. But he, here, what does he do? He immediately speaks in praise of God. He can't contain himself. Why? Because he's seeing what God's actually doing. And it stirs within him joy. Isn't it beautiful? Zacharias here, in many ways, is receiving a second chance. <laughs> okay, you didn't trust me before. Do you now? It is interesting also to consider this. When he finished in the temple, usually a part of his duties would have been to proclaim a sort of benediction at the end. But as we know, by the time he left the temple, he couldn't talk. So now, nine months later, he can give that benediction. And he does. So, joy resounds. When we see God's work, when we repent, and then we also see another way in which it happens. Joy resounds as we anticipate God's plans. Look at what happens in verses 65 and 66. All those in the region begin to fear 
And that word for fear really has the idea of being in awe. There's kind of this hushed awe, like, whoa, what is going on? How is this happening? First of all, how did Elizabeth, after all these years, how is she actually having a baby? And why would it be that Zacharias couldn't speak this entire time and now he can? And what's, what's with this name, John? And so this is kind of filtering throughout the region. Word is spreading about this little one. And they're anticipating things. Look at the question they ask in verse 66. What then will this child turn out to be? What's going on with this one? They're anticipating God doing something here. We also see the reason they're asking this question. Look at the end of verse 66. For, because the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. They knew God's hand was on this little one. And so they're looking ahead going, what is God going to do? And, and I feel like for, for us, we need to be looking ahead for what God's going to do in a similar way. Now, here, obviously, we're not in this period of time. We're not seeing Elizabeth. And we're not anticipating this forerunner of the Messiah. But God's plan is certainly coming to pass, is it not? And, and are we not called then to, by the grace of God, have that same attitude of anticipation and fear? Isn't it interesting? Joy and fear go together. Eric mentioned that earlier. There's, a, there's, a, there's an awe and there's a joy that's connected here. A lot of times we'll separate those two things. We'll just kind of figure, well, joy, is, there's sort of a, a lightness to joy and with fear there's a heaviness. And no, here there's a, a weightiness. God, the sovereign one who rules over all, is mightily at work. And there's great joy in seeing what he's doing and looking ahead to what he's about to accomplish. Um, I understand, you know, this, typically this, this account is given around Christmas time, but I'm thinking of that idea of anticipation, looking ahead to something. And I remember as a kid, I was always looking forward to, you know, what that gift was going to be, you know. What's it going to be? What could it be? But I was never fearful in that. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't sitting there going, you know, well, you know, I hope... Uh, Hope this gift, when I open it, it won't, you know, devour me or eat me alive. There was, no, there was no terror involved. It was just, it was, you're looking forward to this thing. Um, but I, I wonder if we can grasp that, how there's an anticipation factor of it, and yet there's also this awe at the same time. And um, I don't know, maybe uh, if you're given to skydiving, I'm not sure if you've ever done that before in your life. I've heard stories about it. That's about as close as I'm going to get to it, you know, stories. Uh, but, but I do enjoy, there was a, you know, an account of a, of a comedian that went up in the air with Tom Cruise. You know, Tom Cruise always does his own stunts, right? I mean, he's always doing his own stunts, practically. He's one of those guys where you watch him in the movies, you're like, really? Did you really do that? Like, there was one where he's, like, strapped to the outside of a plane, and the plane's taking off. And so uh, Tom Cruise didn't tell this comedian that's what they're going to do until they were in the plane already. <laughs> But there's this look in the eye. I'm just like, we're going to what? You know? And I, and I think that that has to be. You're, there's, you're looking ahead, and yet you realize God's the one that has to be in control. If you're a believer, God has to be in control. He's the one that's got to keep me. He's the one that's got to make me come out the other side of this alive. And you, you jump out, and you see the full, as far as your eyes can see, the, as much as your panoramic vision can take in, it's just basically the sky and the earth. And there you are. There's awe. 
There's fear. There's anticipation. And I think that's, that's what's happening here. Uh, something along those lines as people are looking ahead to what is God going to do? And I feel like we need to capture that as well in our lives. We need to live that way. Um, because for us, we're looking back at this account. We're looking back at what Jesus did. We already know that he rose from the dead. But you know what we're anticipating? His return. He's coming back. How often is the return of Jesus on your mind? How how many nights when you go to bed do you lay your head on the pillow and go, Lord, thank you for this day and thank you that you are coming back really soon. And for all I know, I might wake up in heaven. How often when you're dealing with problems in, in, in life, maybe there's a conflict, maybe there's something fearful on the horizon, how often does the assurance of Christ's return enter your mind and frame not only the event itself, but the way you engage in it, the way you interact with people in it? I can tell you right now, if I was more aware of the return of Jesus in my daily life, I would have way less anxiety. If I was more aware of the return of Jesus in my daily life, I would have far fewer conflicts. You know, Jesus talks about that whole thing. Where, you know, if, the, if the owner of the house knew that the thief was coming, he would have been aware. You know, he's talking about the imminence of Jesus' return. The fact that it's going to, could be any time. Just pick, I want you to picture the, the most recent conflict you've been in. I don't know who it was with. If you're married, it could have been with your spouse. If you're not, it might have been with a friend. Who knows? Maybe it was in the workplace. And let's just say it's a conflict where you don't feel great about the way you conducted yourself. Now put yourself in that and then imagine for a moment that it crossed your mind, wait, Jesus is coming. He could be in this room before I'm even done saying this sentence that I probably shouldn't be saying right now. changes a lot to live with the anticipation of God's plans coming to pass. And what happens in that moment then is we actually find ourselves in a place of increasing joy. Because whatever it is that's troubling us, whatever it is that's, that's confronting or hitting us in a way that's either bringing anxiety, pain, whatever it would be, it frames it into the big picture of, wait a minute, God's got this. You know, even when we find that time of facing the threshold of eternity, maybe, maybe you know, there's, there's that sense of, Lord, that you're in my entire life. I've, I've been anticipating this day. I mean, many of you know Tim Keller went home to be with the Lord this past week, and I'm very grateful for his ministry. Uh, his, his book, uh, Prodigal God, when that came out and I read it, I could not put it down. I'm not kidding. I read it from... Co- I wanted to put it down. I could not put it down. I was in through the whole thing. Uh, But one thing that's consistent in the testimonies about him is how ready he was to enter eternity. How joyful he was, even in that. Even though, from from our vantage point and from the world's vantage point, losing a, a battle with pancreatic cancer. But But ready. And the joy 
that's evident in that. So joy resounds when we see God's work, when we, we repent, as we anticipate God's plans. And, and lastly, joy resounds as our doubts are dissolved by the gospel. And that's what we find in the next section. Um, Zacharias, filled with the Holy Spirit, expresses a beautiful encapsulation of the gospel in song. And that begins in verse 67. Here's what it says. And his father, referring to John, and his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham, our father, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. And you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us and shine upon those who sit in the darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet to the way of peace. And the child continued to grow and to become strong in spirit. And he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance to Israel. I, I think the context here would tell us that this song from Zacharias is given as he is now grasping the good news and declaring that good news. And, and his explosion of praise caused his doubts that he had before to dissolve the gospel. Seeing the gospel causes doubts to dissolve and those doubts dissolving brings about this eruption of joy to God. And, uh, and there are several things that we would find here. Um, you know, certainly in the very beginning, we find that God has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. Oh, and by the way, this, this passage is, is very fascinating on a, on a grammatical level because um, it's what we would call a chiasm. And a chiasm is simply this. You've got thought A and thought B. Sorry, thought A and thought A. They're parallel. They're separated. And then you've got thought B and thought B, thought C and thought, and then D. And then this D here is the main point in the middle. So notice the parallelism. Look at verse 68. God visited us, right? Now look at verse 78. The sunrise on high will what? Will visit us. Huh. There's your A. Notice verse 69. The horn of salvation for us. Look at verse 77. The knowledge of salvation. There's B. Look at verse 70. His holy prophets. And then notice at the end of verse 76, what, what happens? The prophets are quoted. And so there's the third one. And then notice verse 71. We've got salvation from enemies. Look at verse 74. Rescue from the hand of our enemies. There's the next one. All of it leading to the hub, the middle of the whole thing, which is what? Verse 72. 
to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to Abraham. Do you see that? So that means that's the emphasis. God's faithfulness to keep his covenant. That's the main thing. And then everything else branches off from that. In the way, if you were a first century child and you heard this for the first time, that would immediately occur to you in the same way that rhyming occurs to us today. Isn't that something? Again, the ancient people were smart. I, I had to study this for a week before I saw it. Little kid, first century, like, oh, look at that. Click, 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 click. Boom, that's the main point. You know, that's just how they heard stuff. But we find here that, first thing, God visited us. And that's the thing, right? Because if we see Zacharias earlier on in the account, what do we find him thinking? Well, how do I know this? How do I know? In other words, you know what? God, he's far off and distant. He's not near. And I think there's some contrast that we can see actually throughout this whole, this whole section between doubts that we wrestle with and what the gospel tells us. And it comes out in this section really well. So, for example, Zacharias, the doubts, God's far off and indifferent. What do we find here? No, not so. God has visited us. God is near. God has invaded. God has come down to... to, to Bring his salvation. He's not far off. What does that mean for our daily lives? God isn't distant from you with what you're facing, with what you're in. No, he's the one who rescues and he's the one who's very present. He's not just a present help. No, that's not true. We would never intellectually say that, per se. But our doubts will tell us this enemy you're facing is mightier. Oh, I'll put this on now. Sorry. Is that better? Oh, great. Okay, let me just start again from the beginning of the sermon. Since obviously... I won't do that to you. Okay. Um, but we, we would see that, um, you know, God, the Almighty, is the one who rescues. And so in verse 71, for example, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. Well, how does that come about? From God. Verse 74. To grant that we being rescued by the, by, from the hand of our enemies. So God, God brings about this rescue. Nothing can prevent him from doing that. Um, so when our doubts come about saying, whatever this thing is that you're facing, it's more powerful than your Savior. So here Zacharias is saying, I, I used to think that way. No, not the case. God rescues his kids. And then the, the last thing we would see from this particular song that, that Zacharias gives us is sometimes in our doubts we would think, well, God's promises, really, you know, they're, they're only for kind of, they're like the, the wishes of the weak. You know, that's all they are. That's all God's promises really. You, you, this God thing for you, it's just a crutch. You know, if you didn't need the crutch, you wouldn't pretend that these promises are real. And what we find, though, instead, in this song, and, and what, what Zacharias comes out the other side seeing is that God's faithfulness is sure, and his promises are always kept. Always. And so if you look at verse 72 and 73, again, the main point of the entire section, to show mercies to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, which he swore to Abraham, our father, the oath that he swore. So God's going to come through. God's faithfulness is sure. God's promises always come to pass because he will never violate his word. And he promised Abram, before he was Abraham, 
that he had a plan for him and a purpose for him. And, and then he, he gave Abram that, that new name, father of many nations, and he told him, through you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. And this is before Abraham had any kids. And, and, then, and then we're told in that passage in, in, in the book of Genesis, way in the beginning, that Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. So he trusted God by faith and he received from God righteousness that wasn't his. And so what we find countered here in this song from Zacharias is, is, is really um, the ways to combat the things that come against our joy with gospel truth. And so when you find yourself in this week ahead, and maybe, maybe deep down you're going, oh man, why am I overwhelmed by this? Why, why am I feeling this pressed anxiety? Why am I so angry at this? Why am I so brittle with people? What is going on? Could it be that somehow these doubts have, have seeped into your thinking? And if so, would it not be wise to take these truths, these gospel truths, and go, wait a minute. No, God's not far off and indis- indifferent. No, he's, he's visited us. He's come near. He's entered into our world, this broken world. And no, we don't have to save ourselves. We couldn't save ourselves if we wanted to. He alone gives salvation. And, and life is not just a bunch of random occurrences. There is a plan. God's plan is perfect and will come to pass. And there's no enemy more mighty than my Savior, Jesus. Not any kind of enemy, be it spiritual, be it physical. And, and God and his promises are not just the invention of people who want to be optimistic or they're weak and they like to hold on to these cute little wishes that they make up. No, God's promises are sure. The fact that any of us are standing or sitting or existing in this time, at this, in this moment, is because of his sure promises. We're told that Jesus himself, is, as Lord, is the one who holds everything together down to the molecular level by his power. He is the almighty Lord of all. And so when these enemies of joy creep in, let's fight, fight them off and, 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 and combat them with gospel truth as revealed here in this song. It might be worth putting it to music. I don't know. Andrew, what your next song is going to be, but this could be a good one. Um, but it could be anybody. For all I know, someone else in here is going to write that song. That's great. But we need that. We need to hold on to that um, because our God is the God who saves and his plan is sure. And, uh, and, and so now... Um, You know, we're told in verse 80 that the child grows and becomes strong in spirit. He lives in the desert. All the more reason why people are kind of looking at him, like, what is with this guy? You know, he's not even living in the town anymore. He's out there somewhere. People see him from time to time. He's not fitting in. But we've known since the day he was born, there's something different. And you can see God preparing the way for the time when when John the Baptist will come forward and say, repent. Repent. Turn to God because the kingdom of heaven is here. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we come to you and again, thank you for this time. We ask, Lord, that you would grace us to not allow the various enemies of joy to creep into our lives. We pray, Lord, that we would take to heart 
prophecy given by Zacharias and that we would rejoice, not because we're simply trying to put on joy, but because of objectively what you've done and, and the sureness of what you are accomplishing as we anticipate all that you're doing to bring about your perfect plan. So give us eyes to see, give us hearts that resound with joy because of you and what you've done. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.